You know what that sound means. Welcome to the most interesting part of your day. An exciting episode of the Metaphysical Mysteries with your intrepid hosts, Dr. Terry Trubla and Tom Greenhall. Always finding the seekers in this world and reporting it directly to you, the free and the brave. We encourage all of our fans to check out our website at www.themetaphysicalmysteries.com where we have more content and reference items, links to many of our amazing and cutting-edge guests. We are excited to have you with us again. And as you know, this is the must-do podcast for anybody who is anybody in the metaphysical field. We cover everything from ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, amazing healing sciences, and leading technologies that are simply the coolest. We'll bring in researchers, doctors, and authors, and give you content that you cannot get anywhere else. Check out our latest merchandise and proudly wear and use the Metaphysical Mysteries clothing and accessories. Now, on with our next episode. Good morning, folks. This is Dr. Terry and Tom here at the Metaphysical Mysteries, the most interesting part of your day. Today we have with us a fantastic guest, John Russell, and John is well known. He has appeared on the History Channel, on Coast to Coast. Um, he has got books out there, Knock in the Attic. Correct me if I'm wrong as I'm going through this, John. Uh, Knock in the Attic, um, right. Riding with Ghosts, Motorcycle Rider, Man yep. of My Heart, um, and then uh, Seating I'm sorry, no, Seed Dreaming. Seed yeah, Dreaming, no, but, I had to get that right. Yeah, not one of my books, yeah. Okay, all right, gotcha, gotcha. Um, psychometry, telekinesis, remote viewing, channeling, spirit guides, and as he says, I agree, um, it's all part of your psychic behavior and people use all of those intermittently as they can. Um, right. John, it's it's great to have you with us, and man, I know you have a, a wealth of experience for the many many years uh, that you've been doing this. I think our one of our primary focuses today is these ghosts. Uh, we do a lot of things, but it's been a while since we've talked about ghost hunting and and that sort of thing. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into any of this. Well, I tell you, and Terry and Tom, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you guys having me. I'm excited to be here with y'all. Uh, tell you a little bit about how this all started for me. It started when I was five years old, and I was uh, sound asleep in my bed at night. It was probably around one or two in the morning when I woke up, but I was sound asleep, and my parents had a nightlight on. They put in the um, in the bathroom, and you could see that coming into the hallway. The hallway was outside my uh, bedroom door, and then there was a a doorway in the hallway that led into the dining room. So I'm sound asleep and all of a sudden I wake up totally, completely wide awake. No grogginess, no drowsiness. I'm just suddenly completely wide awake. And I'm like, well, this is really strange. This is odd. I'd never experienced that. And I thought, well, maybe there was a noise outside and that woke me up. So I laid there and listened, didn't hear anything. And I raised up on my elbows and then the night lights glow. I could, could kind of see it around my bedroom. So I just raised up on my, my elbows in bed and was just looking around my bedroom. And I looked out my open door down the hallway and peering around the, the doorway into the dining room, peering around that doorway into my bedroom was this elderly black gentleman. 
And I screamed bloody murder because my family was white. I don't think we even had any black friends at the time. And my presumption as a five-year-old child was that an intruder had broken in. This is somebody I didn't know. And when I screamed the first time, he walked around the doorway into the hall, started walking toward my bedroom, locking eyes with me, never taking his eyes off mine. And I knew he was elderly because he had a close cropped white hair. He had a, a white mustache. So I knew he was elderly. He was every bit as solid as you or I. He wasn't transparent. He wasn't translucent. He was full bodied and every bit as solid as you or I. I can tell you the clothes he had on to this day. He had on this long sleeve red flannel shirt and khaki pants, tan pants, black shoes, black belt. And as he got closer to me, I screamed bloody murder again. My parents woke up and came running. And then he began to vanish and he got translucent and he got transparent, and then he vanished. And I was crying and screaming and my parents came in, my mother's trying to console me. And I said, there's somebody in the house, even though I had just seen him disappear. So there's somebody in the house. So my mother's trying to console me. She's like, no, no, it's just a nightmare. It's something you watched on TV. And I said, no, there's someone in this house. And it freaked him out enough that my dad actually went through the house, looked in the closets, looked under the beds, um, checked all the doors and windows. And of course, everything was battened down tight. There was nobody physical there in the house. And so it dawned on me, I couldn't articulate it at, at that age, but it dawned on me, I had just seen my first ghost. And, and so they're trying to get me to go back to sleep. And I'm like, bloody hell, man, is this guy going to come back? Why did he come in the first place? Is he going to come want to talk to me? Is he going to want to do something scary? What the heck? And so I'm trying to get back to sleep. And for the next uh, couple of weeks, I'm looking over my shoulder everywhere I go. And it's hard to go to sleep because what's going to happen? When is this guy going to come back? And then all these paranormal manifestations begin to occur. Now people begin to, people claim paranormal manifestations, but a lot of times it's something they experienced in meditation or they dreamed it or they hallucinated it or whatever. These were literal physical manifestations occurring on the physical realm that other people witnessed as well as myself. So these things begin to occur and somehow I was able to connect that, okay, this guy came to open up this portal of these experiences. And I, I didn't understand why, but I somehow understood it at an intuitive level that it was going to be extremely important to me in my life. And eventually it was going to be extremely important to other people to have this connection and to have these experiences. So those begin to occur on a regular basis. Uh, at, at my age now, I've had way, way, way over a thousand of these physical paranormal manifestations We've caught them on camera. We've caught them on video. Other people have witnessed them. We've caught them audio, so on and so forth. So anyways, those begin to occur. And then oh, a few months later, I was out in the backyard playing with a toy, goofing around, and this car pulled in the driveway that I didn't recognize. And I ran inside to get my parents, and I said, somebody just pulled in the driveway, and I don't know who these people are. And I said, okay, well, we'll come out and look. So they came out, and I said, oh, these are friends of ours, and I'd never met the people. So they got out of the car and they're standing there on the sidewalk and they're just all in a little huddle talking before they went in the house. And I was goofing around with my toy and I walked up to the group and I stood there and I just looked up at the people and I just interrupted the conversation. I said, you folks have just been on vacation. 
and you drove that car that's in the driveway and you have two kids they are not with you today, but you've got two kids and you took them with you on that vacation and their eyes are starting to bug out. Right. And the husband's looking at everybody like, what's going on? What's going on? And as I went on, I said, you, you stayed at this hotel and the front of it was, it looked like this and it had these trees, peculiar looking trees that were spaced at regular intervals in front. And it was so many floors painted this color. And then in the back was the pool area and it looked like this was painted this color. And I'll never forget the woman. She was literally, her jaw was agape. Her eyes were bugged out. She was staring at me like I had cobras coming out of my ears. And she looked at my mother and she said, how the hell could he possibly know that? And my parents were taken aback and they were stuttering. They didn't know what to say. And my mother said something like, oh, you know, kids and their imaginations. And she goes, no, no, no. Kids and their imaginations doesn't explain this. How the hell could he possibly know that? And my parents didn't know what to say and didn't know what to, what to do. And finally, the woman said, that's what we came to tell you today is about the vacation that we took. We drove that car. We took our two kids. The hotel we stayed at was exactly as John described. How the hell could he possibly know that? And my parents were like, John, go play. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you folks. And off I ran. And it scared them so bad they never came back to visit my parents again. That's when I discovered that I could see into people's lives. I could tell where they had been, what they had been doing, read their thoughts, read their emotions. And then it progressed to the point that I discovered that I could predict what was going to happen to people accurately. And that's where it all started. That's fascinating. But was, that's kind of the opening story. And like the can all of a sudden opens for kids yeah. oftentimes. And then the right. next thing you know, they're trying to deal with that. I mean, here on the podcast, we try to make this a little bit educational. So right. I guess my question would be to you, um, you know, if you had a kid or somebody's out, a listener's got a kid out there and all of a sudden this kind of a thing, it may not be quite that dramatic, but right. this kind of thing happens What's your best advice for parents that, you know, all of a sudden their kids, you know, having these manifestations or, or mm -hmm. at least telling them they have this manifestation, what would you tell them to do? Well, the first thing is encourage them and, you know, help them get some understanding of what's going on. And that's available through, you know, there's books you can read, there's things you can study. Uh, not all the truth is out there, but there's little bits and pieces of it here and there. And you can begin to study understand what's going on. One of the best things you can do is just have that communication with the other side directly and say, okay, I'm here, uh, you're communicating, I'm learning, let's continue that. And then the other thing is don't go to the knee jerk default reaction of if it's a supernatural experience, paranormal experience, a psychic experience, it has to be demonic, satanic, uh, malevolent, dangerous don't go there because that's not the case i have been doing paranormal investigations since i was 11. i'm 69 now so i've been around the block a few times in this whole thing i have never encountered the exorcist movie version of the demons um i've done all these paranormal investigations i've never felt fear i've never been attacked i've never been scratched i've never been bitten i've never been cursed and told to get out um so don't default to that. Just because something happens that we don't understand and that we're not familiar with doesn't mean it's malevolent, doesn't mean it's negative, doesn't mean it's demonic, doesn't mean it's satanic. And so that's that's one thing that I encourage people to understand, and particularly when you're dealing with someone that's all of a sudden having these experiences and developing this gift, don't have that misinterpretation of what's going on. 
and don't misinterpret the things that happen to you because the other side has unique ways of um, communicating with us. And Absolutely. one example of that, when I shot the pilot for the, um, uh, the, the TV pilot for the History Channel, we were at this one place and this lady said, when you get a break in filming, I've got to talk to you. This ghost tried to kill me. And I said, oh my God, no ghost tried to kill you. She's like, yes, yes, this ghost tried to kill me. I said, okay, we'll talk. So I got a break in filming. And I began to talk to her and she, and the other side had already told me what was going on. I already had the psychic knowledge of what was happening, but I listened to her story and she was in the kitchen and the cupboard door flew open by itself. And this dish flew out of the cupboard by itself, flew across the room to where she was, hit the wall beside her, shattered and fell to the floor. And she said, see, the ghost tried to kill me. I said, the ghost wasn't even trying to harm you, much less kill you. I said, if it was trying to harm you, it would have hit you. It didn't hit you. And I said, what I understand, what the other side began to tell me before we even had this discussion is that there are spirit guides, entities, people on the other side that have been trying to communicate with you for a long time and give you guidance and tell you some things that you need to know. And you've been pushing them away and ignoring them, probably chiefly out of fear. And I said, they have finally reached the point where it's like, okay, ignore this. You can't ignore this. I said it was just a demonstration meant to jar you, meant to wake you up, make you focus, make you realize, hey, this is real. It's going on. It's occurring from the invisible realm to the visible. And there are people there that need to communicate with you. So she began to understand that. So we have to understand that a lot of these communications like that can be misinterpreted and can be misrepresented so that we assume that the spirit's trying to cause us harm or danger or whatever. And maybe that's just the only way that they have to get our attention. Got it. Absolutely. You know, I get a chance to do this kind of work also. And so you do come up with some pretty unique stories as yep. you go through doing this. Um, is there one that really sticks out for you that go, here's one people really think was something you know um so i don't know you probably got five or six popping your head right away but the one you can share there's there's a lot um as um while we were we can go back and talk to uh, to that uh, the same thing about shooting the uh, the tv pilot we had a regular camera and then we had a flare camera forward looking infrared radiation and i think that we may have been the first to use flare if not among the first, but I think we may have actually been the first. This has been a long time ago that, uh, that I shot the pilot. And on FLIR, as, as most people know, there's a setting that when you're shooting through the FLIR camera, heat shows up as white and cold shows up as black. So they were shooting me with both the regular camera and the FLIR camera when we were doing this investigation. And we got to go to all these fantastic places. We went to Ford's Theater and we went to the Mud House. And we went to all these places. And it was really marvelous because it was just me and the film crew. The docents would open the door for us, let us in, lock the door. There were no tourists there. And then the docents would disappear. So I had the run of the, all of these places and just let my psychic gift lead me and, and tell me what was going on and giving them all this information. So one of the great things that we captured, one of the really phenomenal things, we were at the mud house and uh, I had uh, had been upstairs and we were doing some, some things, some investigation there. And then there was this crack, the snap downstairs. 
that everyone heard. It sounded like if you took a, a fairly large tree branch and snapped it in half. And I said, there's our ghost. we got to get downstairs. So we all went downstairs. And I went over in this, this little, like a little kitchen area or something like that, dining area, whatever it was. And the, the docents and the film crew were all standing away from me and they were filming me. And I said, I, I think this is Mrs. Mudd that's come back to communicate with us to give us some information. I said, Ms. Mudd, was that you? And I said, yes. She says that it's her. She's appearing over here off to my right. I said, she's standing there and she's walking toward me. And I said, now I can feel her energy. She is literally walking through me. She's passing through me and she's come out the other side. And when I said that, when they replayed the, the FLIR, what they had captured on FLIR, there were black footprints on the floor indicating cold that were walking across the floor with no body, just the footprints. And they were small women's size shoes and period era shoes walking across and walking to me and then walking through me and we got that on the FLIR. So that was, that was one pretty phenomenal example. And uh, then during that, uh, that same investigation at that same time, uh, wherever I go, I'm always a magnet for the paranormal and I always stir things up and I always attract things and make things happen. So one of the, uh, the mud relatives there that was there with us that night that was a caretaker for the property, he had gone out and the sheriff's department comes by and checks on it because it's a you know historic landmark and things. So they always check it out at night. So he had gone out and said, listen, if you see all these cars here and lights going on and off, we've got the history channel here filming. That's what's going on. So you'll know everything's okay. And they were like, okay. And then he locked up the property, locked up all the outbuildings outside and everything, then came back in. When we went, got through shooting, he went outside to do something. And he came back in and he was shaking and he was white. <laughs> and we were like, what's the matter? And he said, I, I locked up everything outside before I came back in. I'm the only one that has any keys. I went out to check on something. And he said, the one building that I locked up, apparently it was like an outdoor kitchen or whatever, like they used to have back then. And he said, that door was open, the lights were on inside and the faucet was running full blast in the sink. And he was just freaked out. So a lot of good manifestations during that investigation. Oh, yeah. Tommy, do you have something? I just want to go back, if I could. Um, you said, you know, the first time with uh, the neighbors, the, or your, I'm sorry, your parents' friends. How old were you then? And when was the first time you were able to talk about this with anyone? I mean, obviously, being young, you, you want to get this out, but no one's paying attention or listening. So yeah. did you go I with it? About, I was about five and a half, close to six when that incident happened with my parents' friends. And fortunately, uh, my mother was, uh, she was very receptive to the paranormal, read all these books on it, and had some experiences herself, as it had her family. And so she was very encouraging, and she gave me what information she could, and then pointed me towards things to read, things to study, so on and so forth. My dad was kind of a, uh, I call him a closet believer, because he had to acknowledge the physical reality of these things that were happening in the house. He experienced them as well, but it's scary. Uh, my, my dad, he owned a bar and he was rough and tumble. He did his own bouncing, all this kind of stuff. He had been a, a cattle rancher and all this thing. So he was a tough old guy. So he could handle himself physically, but the paranormal manifested and he couldn't grab a hold of it. He couldn't control it. It manifested when it wanted to. It did what it wanted to. And so that freaked him out. 
So uh, he, he kind of kept quiet about it, but my mother encouraged me and I could talk to them about the things that were going on. But then I discovered at that early age that as I tried to talk to other adults and as I tried to talk to my peers, kids my own age, that due to their religious upbringings and due to the way they had been taught, uh, they didn't want to talk about it. It was either too scary, it was demonic, it was, you know, we just don't talk about those things or those things don't exist. And so I began to discover that it's, it's difficult to, um, to communicate that to people without encountering this resistance and sometimes outright hostility. And uh, it's, it's still that way to this day, unfortunately. Luckily, your mother was open to that. Um, had she not been, because a lot of times we have people on this show that are trying to learn this for their own children or themselves. Right, right. Would have been a good avenue for you. What do you think would have been helpful to you had you had that opportunity if your mother was not open? Yeah, if, if people weren't open or are not open to it, again, going back to researching what books are out there, not every book's good, not every book's going to help you, not everything that's written is truthful or accurate, but that's a good place to start. And then talking with people that have their own experiences. And again, there you've got to be very, very careful because people are going to lead you into whatever their particular belief system is. So most people are hidebound by tradition, dogma, rituals, so on and so forth. And that's what they're going to give to you because that's all they know. Right. And what was very fortunate for me was around the age of 11, when I began to do serious paranormal investigation, paranormal research, I had been a good reader with good comprehension and I was a fast reader. So I got every book I could get my hands on. I studied religion. I studied psychology, parapsychology. I read all the books on, on all the psychic things, the paranormal things that were going on. And I continued that and still continue that to this day. And so it was a process of me, for me, of taking all this information, distilling it and saying, okay, what works and what doesn't? And I think that's the most important question for people to ask. What works and what doesn't? What's true and what isn't? If people tell you that they can demonstrate something or do something paranormally or psychically, let's see it. If they can't, after repeated attempts and after repeated statements that they can, then you know they're lying, they're faking whatever, pass them going down the road to somebody else. Um, if, um, if a certain teaching or a certain group or a certain this up and the other tells you they have certain knowledge or certain power of this up and the other test it out does it work if it's if it's practical it has to work in the physical realm now you we can get like the seth books and all these type of things that people do and you can have all of the spiritual gobbledygook uh for forever and ever and ever and it's uh, basically some supposedly high-minded enlightened spirit comes to somebody and they channel them and the spirit gives them the information. And the information is usually on the order of, you can't see me, but I can see you. And that's because I'm here, but you're there, but I'm also there. And then one of these days you might be here, but I might be gone, but then I'm everywhere. And, and just idiotic, stupid nonsense that goes on and on and on forever, leads you down this rabbit hole of if you study this long enough and hard enough, you can talk like I do, and then you'll be where I am, and I'll be where you are, and we'll all be, and it's like, Jesus Christ, none of it works on the physical realm. 
it doesn't heal anybody. It doesn't make any better looking. doesn't help your finances. doesn't help your relationship with your spouse. It's just idiotic nonsense. So there's a lot out there you have to avoid. And my benchmark has always been my guiding light, if you will, my guiding star, the magnetic north compass for me has been, does it work? If it doesn't produce something useful and beneficial in our everyday physical lives here on this planet, then it, it's not worth studying. It's not worth messing with. It's not worth hanging on to. If you claim healing and that healing turns out to be more of the Seth books nonsense where it's some spiritual thing where you meditate and you visualize your heel and oh you feel good and then you get up and you grab your crutches and you wander over to your wheelchair and you get around the same exact way that's not healing that's imagination that's fantasy so if you claim healing the healing has to work here in this physical realm an example of that i'll give you an example that was was really mind-blowing that uh, i got a big kick out of and a lot of people did um I had uh, sold my house before I moved up uh, to, to New York to be with my wife. I was staying with a buddy of mine uh, back in Texas where I live. And he was, um, he was a character. He, had, he was a retired fighter pilot. He had worked for the NSA. He had done all these things in the military, held top secret clearances. And he believed, but he was scared to death of it. He told me one time, he said, John, as long as you're staying here, I believe in what you do. I believe you have this gift. I believe you have this power. But if you see, hear, feel, experience anything, I don't want to know. <laughs> so I would, and I, I attract the paranormal like, you know, bees to the flowers. So I would tell my guys on the other side, I'd say, look, while I'm staying here with my buddy, this scares him. Don't, don't manifest too many things. Don't do too many weird things. So anyways, uh, me and him were good drinking buddies. And so we would, would frequent this uh, Chili's restaurant there and we'd go to the bar and we'd get our rounds there in the evening and we knew everybody in there. And most of the uh, wait staff was college age kids. And this one came over one day and flopped down by us at the bar. And she said, my God, look at my lip. And she had this uh, fever blister, this cold sore that had just started. And it was huge, this big red swollen inflamed thing big, huge knot on her lips. She says, my God, I look like a monster. <laughs> we were trying not to laugh. And, and uh, now anybody that knows anything about cold sores, fever blisters, when they start and they're in that stage, even with medicine, it's going to take you two to three weeks to get rid of that thing. It might even leave a little scar or a little blemish for a while. So this had just started. And she's like, my God, look at this. And I said, hey, I said, let me do something here. She said, what? I said, let me, let me send some healing energy into that, okay? She said, yeah, sure, whatever, it, it can't hurt. So my buddy's watching me, and this is in the crowded restaurant, right? And I said, let me, let me send some healing energy into this. So I sent all this energy into my finger and put the finger about an inch or two away from her lip and started sending this energy in there. And I said, do you feel anything? She said, yeah, it's getting hot and tingly. I said, okay, just, just hang loose. Let me, let me finish up here. So I, I did that and she goes, I, I, I really felt something there. What'd you do? And I said, oh, it's, it's an old Indian trick. I just passed it off like that. She said, well, whatever you did, it, it did something. I said, well, let's, let's see what it does. Let's see if it works. So my buddy and I were there again the very next day at the bar drinking and she ran in, flopped down beside us. She goes, my God, look at my lip. And it was totally, completely healed, smooth, 
nothing on there. She goes, what did you do? I said, oh, just, just an old Indian trick. And my buddy was like, John, that's some weird stuff, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and then with the, I stayed there with him. Like I said, he saw these things. He believed in all these things. And uh, the, the guys were pretty good to him except one night. And uh, we had uh, this criteria for movies. They had to be two stars or less, cursing, nudity, <laughs> violence, all these things. So we would get our beers and he had this open floor plan at, at this side of the house where the living room looked into the dining room and then the kitchen was right there. And it was a pretty small area, it wasn't real large. And he cooked and I cooked and we were both meticulous about cleaning up afterwards. So there was never any dishes in the sink or there was never anything to fall over or anything to, to, to shift in the cabinets, cause noise or anything like that. So we had cleaned up and each got a beer and come in and said, okay, we're starting this movie. And we said, it was rated one and a half stars and said, okay, that's our criteria. We said, okay, in the first 15 minutes of this thing, there has to be nudity, sex, violence, cursing, and some kind of murder, gruesome thing, or it's not worth watching. Well, all that occurred within the first 15 minutes. So we were happy. We're drinking our beers. And so out of the kitchen came this noise. The only time that the guys on the other side ever really <laughs> did anything hellacious there. But there came this noise out of the kitchen like somebody had taken... 10 metal cookie sheets, climbed up on top of a six foot step ladder and dropped them on the floor. <laughs> and Bill, his name was Bill, and I write about this in, in my second book, uh, A Knock in the Attic, and Bill jumped and I looked over at him and his hands were gripping his recliner. He had the soft recliner and his hands were gripping the armrest so hard you couldn't even see his fingers. They were completely dug into it. And I said, Bill, and he said, uh-huh. And I said, did you hear that? He said, yep. I said, ain't you going to get up and go see what it was? He said, nope. <laughs> so I went into the kitchen to look. And of course, nothing was there. Nothing out of order. Nothing had happened to account for that noise. And I guess the guys had just finally said, we've behaved as long as we can. We got to do something. And so for the rest of the night, I had to be the one to get up and go get the beers. <laughs> he wouldn't go in the kitchen for the rest of the night. Nice. That sounds par for the course. Yeah. 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 I, I try to tell people, you know, the folks on the other side, I said, there's 50,000 comedians out of work and they're trying to be funny. Um, they usually have go. one really good sense of humor and people think it's all, you know, really bad stuff. But in, in fact, most of them do have a great sense of humor. And I guess that kind of, um, I've got a thousand questions, of course, but um, one thing, is that uh, we want to try to address the uh, uh, issue related to uh, fraud. And we'll, we'll oh, yeah. come back to that in a sec. This meeting is being recorded. And speaking about fraud, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, people that spend a ton of money, and I, I really feel sorry for those folks. So in an effort to get a little uh, consumer um, awareness out there, uh, John, I know you've interacted with people the same as we have, and they've spent just buku amount of dollars and, and to, for nothing. Can you uh, help educate people when they want to be a good uh, consumer in the world of uh, psychic mediumship and, and the like and even ghost stuff? Yeah. You know, first off, if you're thinking about going to a psychic, go to their webpage, 
uh, like my webpage, johnrussell.net. I've got my credentials there. I've got the, the I've got over 80 client testimonials. I've got media testimonials. These are all things that people can verify, that they can check out that exist. So make sure the psychic is established. Uh, look for client testimonials. If they don't have any client testimonials at all, uh, you know, that's, that's a red flag right there. Look for uh, the price, look for the cost. And if they're charging some outrageous, like, you know, $800,000 for a reading or 800 an hour or whatever like that, that should be a massive, massive red flag to you. Uh, you know, no psychic on the planet is 100% accurate all the time. Over the years, I've done this professionally for over 50 years, and my client feedback has been that I'm 80 to 90% accurate, which is pretty darn good. And at the same time, that's nine out of 10 at best, and a mighty big one can fall through the crack on that 10th one that I might miss. So people need to understand that nobody's 100% accurate. So psychics that are claiming that they can guarantee results or guarantee your satisfaction or that they're going to be 100% accurate or this, that, and the other, that's another sign to run. If it always works, if there is some manifestation or some something they do that always works, they're a fraud. The real thing doesn't always work. The fake stuff always works. If you watch magic shows on TV and you see the mentalists and you see the magicians, that works every single time, every single stage they play, every single performance, because it's not real. The real thing, unfortunately, doesn't always work. Those are some of the things that you want to look for. Um, the, uh, the, the definite clue to run is if one of these psychics or spiritualist mediums, whoever they claim to be, if they tell you that they see darkness around you, there's a curse on you, uh, somebody's trying to make you sick, this, that, and the other, and they can get rid of that for you. They can bring your cheating boyfriend back and make him faithful. They can get you the job you want, whatever, whatever. Run, 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 because no, they cannot. Now, is this a big deal? Is this a big issue? Yes. When I was living in New York, my, my wife's a New York native. She was born in Yonkers, grew up in the Bronx, had a business in, in uh, the Bronx, family business there. And we would go into Manhattan shopping for the business. So uh, my wife knows my expenses, my taxes, everything else. In a good year, I might make enough to have some French fries with my hamburger. And so knowing that, we would be walking down the streets in Manhattan and there was this brownstone there, expensive brownstone. And in the window was a signed $10 special reading. And my wife looked at me and she said, how in God's name can somebody, she says, I've lived here my whole life and you living here now, you know how expensive Manhattan is. How can somebody living in a Manhattan brownstone charge $10 for a reading and stay in business? How is that possible? And I said, well, that's to suck you in. That's the special reading for $10. And then the real grief starts. Oh my goodness. Uh, I didn't expect this. I see this, this evil entity that's around you that did you have a grandfather that you maybe or an uncle or somebody on the other side that maybe you weren't uh, in good, uh, good, uh, didn't have good relationships with and, and 
now they're on the other side. They still, oh yeah, well, my grandfather and I used to fight a lot. Well, he's cursing you from the other side. Oh my God. Well, yeah, that makes sense because we were just knocking heads all the time we were here. Well, I can get rid of that for you. It's going to cost a little money, but not, not too much. We're going to take, you know, hundred dollars here and we're going to go to the spirits with that money. That money's not for me. It's for the spirits. We're going to offer it to them. We're going to intercede and ask, ask them to intercede on your behalf to make your grandpa quit cursing you. Okay, well, great. Let's do that. And you do that. And then, uh-oh, uh, I, I thought maybe this was your grandpa and the spirits were deceiving me. I saw wrong. There's this powerful evil spirit. You've got witchcraft in your family somewhere and somebody in your family angered somebody a long time ago and they cursed them. And this, the spirit has been coming down through each generation. Well, what do we do? Well, it's, it's going to cost $3,000. It's not for me. I take three piles, a thousand here, a thousand here, a thousand here, and I offer it to these spirits on the other side. The money, they take that energy. And then some of that money, I'm going to make a feast for the spirits. We're going to get them food and everything. They're going to use that energy and they're going to, and this nonsense goes on and on and on and on. You say, well, how could anybody in their right mind believe in that? Well, usually, this type of nonsense is accompanied by some basic sleight of hand magic. So for example, there's a bowl of eggs sitting on the table and they say, pick one of those eggs out and you do, and you can pick any egg at random. And they, they you give it to the medium and they crack it over a bowl. And when they crack it open, this inky black junk comes out in the yolk and the white and spreads throughout the bowl. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God, look your curse, look at that. Well, you picked the egg out, you handed it to them, it was your choice. They can pick a bunch of other eggs out of that bowl and crack them, they'll all be clean. That one got that junk in it and you say, oh my God, that's the, that's a paranormal miracle, paranormal manifestation. No, it's simple sleight of hand magic. And if you know how it's done, it, it's real disappointingly easy. But if you don't know how it's done, it looks like a miracle. So people get sucked into these magic tricks into this cold reading stuff and the suddenly other, and before long, they're out thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. You said, well, nobody but an idiot would fall for that. Well, the people that I've had to rescue from these phonies have been people with multiple college degrees, own their own business, highly educated, so on and so forth. That's why these people are called con artists. Con is short for confidence. They know how to gain your confidence. They know your buttons, my buttons, everybody else's buttons. And we may be smart enough to realize they're poking those buttons and be able to resist that, but most people aren't. Most people are pretty easily manipulated. And so I've had people that have come to me that have lost 50,000, 100,000, 75,000, 3,000, 5,000. Had someone come to me just here the other day that lost over $120,000. Uh, when we were living in New York, on one of the news magazine shows at night, they had the New York uh, Attorney General, New York State Attorney General. And he was talking about, they had a segment on these phony psychics and about the phonies there, specifically in Manhattan. And uh, he, he said that the average amount that most of these phonies were making as non-taxable income, because of course I never declare it, was a quarter million up per year. And he said, that in the interview, they were saying, well, why can't you stop these people? Why can't you catch these people? And he said, well, you have to understand most of these people have never in their life used their real name. So we don't know who they are to begin with. Secondly, they move from place to place frequently. They change locations. They may change states. They may go out of state, come back in after a period of time, so on and so forth. 
And so he said, they're incredibly difficult to track down. And he said, if we do track one down and we've got a lawyer willing to take the case and we're going to sue this person, try and get their money back. And all of a sudden across my desk comes a serial killer case. Your phony psychic goes on the back burner. So it's, it's a very, very difficult thing. It's, it's hard to, pers- uh, to prosecute. It's hard to track these people down. Uh, but, but those are some of the things to look for. And you have to realize that this is out there, not just in the psychic realm, but in the religious realm too. You go back to, uh, for example, Peter Popoff, the evangelist. And he had um, uh, the supposed gift from God where God would tell him people's names and addresses and their illnesses and their relatives and this and the other. And people were like, this got to be a man of God. How can he do this stuff unless God's speaking to me? Well, there was a, a skeptic group that was skeptical of this guy, and they tried to figure out how he was doing it, and they kind of got an idea, and they said, okay, they smuggled in this little small radio receiver that would scan radio frequencies, and they had it like in a bag and pretended like it was for oxygen or something or the other, whatever the deal was. So anyways, they smuggled this thing into the service, and they heard uh, his wife backstage going, hey, PD, it's your wife. I love you. I hope you can hear me. All right, here's the information in the first rows. This, this guy is wearing a yellow shirt, and this is his thing. What they would do, they would take uh, prayer request cards from people coming in, and you fill out what was wrong with you, what your prayer need was, maybe some relatives on there, where you lived, your address, all this stuff. So she just read it to him. He had a little receiver in his ear, and she just read him the information, and boom, he you know, spouted it like it, it was coming from God. So there's a lot of fakes and frauds and phonies out there in religion and in psychology, parapsychology, the paranormal, psychic, so on and so forth. So it is buyer beware. You have to be aware that this stuff is out there. You have to take steps to prevent that from happening. And um, one of the uh, uh, I, I won't say the name, I guess, to avoid liability, but probably everybody can figure out who it was. Uh, they're dead now, but one of the most uh, renowned uh, psychics uh, was was on a TV show for a long period of time. And uh, for, it was really funny because uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I started getting this person's clients. And they would tell me that they had gone to this person and they said, I don't know who they were reading for, but it wasn't me. And so when I read for them, I would say, okay, now really analyze my reading. Has this been accurate and insightful for you? Uh, you know, and I, oh yeah, yeah, it's been great. It's been fantastic. You got all this stuff nailed on the head and I'll, I'll check the predictions and get back to you, but it sounds, sounds reasonable. So with one of these people, I, uh, I said, you know, I said for 800 bucks an hour, which is what that person was charging then, I said, for 800 bucks an hour, I should get the, the winning lottery numbers and maybe even a sexual favor for that, for Christ's sake. Absolutely. And they were laughing and they said, uh, they said, honey, you, you don't understand. It's not 800 an hour. And I said, well, yeah, I've gone to their website and looked. And that's, she goes, no, 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 it's not 800 an hour. It's 800 a reading. The reading might be 10 minutes and you're out of there. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, oh, no, no. Mine was like 15 minutes. And then, okay, you're done. Next, 800 bucks for that nonsense. So people, you've got to realize that these people, for whatever reason, I don't know how and why they do it, 
they develop a cult of personality and people think they're the sweetest, greatest, most gifted, most wonderful people. And they're the biggest con artists and liars and frauds and fakes and phonies walking the earth. So get past the veneer and stop looking at the person saying, oh, isn't this person magnetic and aren't they charismatic? And I'll get past all of that and get down to the nitty gritty of what's really going on. And like for myself, you know, I've got pictures uh, that aren't faked. I've got the negatives back when I was shooting film. I've got ghost photographs that anybody can examine. We've got this stuff on film. We've got it on audio. We've got, you know, video. Uh, I've got the record there of these things happening. Other people have witnessed these things. The predictions I've made, the public predictions about the financial crashes and presidential elections and everything. That's all a matter of record. It's out there. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have heard this. Um, so look for the documentation when somebody makes a claim. That's the main thing you have to do. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, we talk about beliefs too. And beliefs, in my opinion, are things that you take in because you can't, you can't explain things. So people have beliefs and you believe in Santa Claus because you can't explain how the Christmas <laughs> packages got under that, you know, got under the tree. Exactly. Little, exactly. And once you yeah. get older, you kind of figure it out. And uh, it's not no longer a belief. It's, and so beliefs are not necessarily the truth. It's and a lot of religions, um, you know, and as a minister, I can say that, you know, studied all 12 major religions in detail. Mm -hmm. And a belief is just that. It's a belief. It doesn't exactly. make it true. It's just that we can't it explain it. So we plug yeah. something in, yeah. you know, and I think people need to uh, really take a harder look at this. And uh, for somebody who worked a lot of consumer crime, uh, consumer fraud crime, I, I mm -hmm. would say this is an area that's ripe for legislation, which scares yeah. Uh, it should scare everybody who's legitimately doing this because it would knock a lot of people that are legit out of it yeah. because of these. Yeah. And that's the way it always is in, in crime stuff. One or two people do this bad stuff and the rest of us suffer for it. Exactly. And um, exactly. so, yeah, being a, a good consumer is really important. Let me um, let me throw this out. I'm going to switch gears for just a sec. Sure. Um, and I want to talk about uh, when you have a... a um, a haunting, let's call it a haunting for lack of a better word. What do you feel the difference is between the haunting of a person and the haunting of a house or building or so forth? What's what do, what's the prevalent one and what's less prevalent and why do they exist in your uh, opinion? Well, I think both are about equally uh, prevalent. I think that the haunting of a building, for example, or a house occurs uh, there could be a number of reasons for that. There could be a person that died there that crossed over there and periodically they're returning just to check it out. And one of the greatest things I received one day was the revelation that a lot of hauntings may just be nostalgia on the part of a person that's on the other side. And so that person may have owned that house. They died. They're on the other side. They're not earthbound. They're not trapped in that house. But periodically they may, hey, let's, let's go see what the old house is doing. Has anybody fixed it up yet? Or have they remodeled it? Who's living there now? And it may be that. Uh, there may be various entities, nature spirits or whatever, that are local to that region where that house is. And they may be active around there. So there can be all these various types of entities at a location. And we have to figure out what entities we're encountering. We can't just go in and say there's a ghost. 
Well, it may not be a ghost. It may be a nature spirit. It may be some other type of entity that we don't even know how to classify. Uh, it may be your Uncle Jim taking along with you and manifesting there. Maybe the energy's a little bit easier for him to manifest there, or you're in a more receptive state of mind there or whatever. So it's important that we be able to investigate that, figure out what's going on and, and why. Now, as far as people and what they have going on around them, regardless of where they're at, we all have, I believe, guardian angels, spirit guides, loved ones on the other side that come to us periodically. But like the guardian angels, spirit guides, they may be around us very frequently. We may not be aware of it, but they may be there. So that's, that's always going on. And I try and get people to understand that all of these intelligences and energies and people on the other side, all of this is around us constantly and is going on constantly wherever you're at. And whatever you're doing, it is always there. The same way that radio waves are all around all of us right now, uh, you, you don't hear it. But if you get a radio and you plug it in, you tune it to the right station, oh, there's country music. All that's going through the air right now. But we're just not aware of it. Likewise, all of these spiritual goings on are constantly all around us. We're just not receptive, tuned in, and aware of it. But it's always there. Gotcha. Tommy? Well, that's uh, a good way to put it, I think. How would you, from your experience, for people that are new to this type of stuff, if they wanted to be better receivers, what have you found that has worked to you know, further enhance the skills you were born with? Yeah, I think the absolute best thing you can do, Tom, is to sit down. First thing you have to do is get quiet so you can be receptive. We're all plugged in. We got the radio going. We got the cell phone on. We got music going. We're listening to the TV in the background or whatever. So the first thing you have to do is turn off all the distractions so that it's quiet. Then you have to sit down and just talk to the other side and your perception of that, whether you want to say God or universal mind or hey guardian angels or is my uncle on the other side there or whatever, however you want to address this invisible realm that you're comfortable with. And you just say, I'm, I'm here to learn. I want to advance. I want to grow. I want to understand this realm better. I want to understand myself better. What can you give me to improve my life and that I can also improve other people's lives with? And then you shut up and listen. <laughs> and it'll come to you in the form of maybe a dream, an intuition, a vision, something somebody says to you down the road or whatever. But that's how you do that. And you have to do it every day. And I'll tell people, take a minimum of 15 minutes and sit there and make that statement, make that request, and again, get quiet, and then listen. Well, what am I listening for? You're listening for a voice. That voice may be internal. It may actually, at some point, be external. You may see a vision. You may have a dream. You may have an inspiration. You may have a thought come to you out of the blue. Say, oh, man, that's what I need to do, or I need to pursue this, or whatever. So you listen for that guidance. And the more time you spend doing that, the more that you're going to get that. And then the most important thing you can do is when you get that guidance, you have to act on it. It's useless if you don't put it into practice, if you don't act on it. It's funny you put it that way about asking for help because I tell people I'm a little thick at times, a little skeptical. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, I need a flashing neon sign so I don't miss what you're telling me. <laughs> And unfortunately, the other side usually doesn't give us flashing neon signs. Usually it's a much more subtle type thing, uh, even for myself. But on occasion, they will. But that's why it's important to begin to learn to, uh, to enhance 
your sensitivity to grow that sensitivity to where when that subtlety comes, you can say, oh, that's not me. That's something I'm supposed to be doing. That's communication. And, but the more time you spend doing that, the easier it gets to recognize even the subtle signs. But that's why it's important. We have to have quiet. We have to spend a sufficient amount of time, at least 15 minutes each day. And then we have to act upon what we receive. And the more we do that, the more the more that we get then. Yeah, sounds very, good. Very, very sound advice from, from my perspective anyway. Um, you know, even this morning, uh, I knew I needed to get up. This is the taped early this morning. And uh, I told my people before I went to bed, make sure I get up. Yeah. Sure yeah. Enough, a, a bell went off in my head this morning. It was like an alarm clock. There, I told my yeah. wife to set an alarm clock, but I don't think she did because I never did hear it go off. But yeah. I heard it go off in my head and I go, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Got up right on time. Everything was good, you know. So um, you you, yeah, they'll work with you yeah, if absolutely. you let them. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're on your team. They're not um, opposed to you. They really right. do want to work with you. And uh, I, I want to, I mean, our time's starting to wind down here a little bit, but you, you talked about, uh, you know, one of the hard things, I think, at least in psychic stuff, is predictions, you know. Yeah. And I don't know if you've had any for, I don't know, whatever, this year, you know, usually people think of predictions for uh, uh, political leaders or what's mm -hmm. happening in the world and, you know, bigger, broader things. And sometimes there's predictions for individuals, of course. Right. Um, how do you get those and, and how do you sort through those if you're going to say all of a sudden, you know, Donald Trump's going to have a heart attack and keel over or something right. like that? You know, yeah. how, how does that manifest for you? Well, the way it's manifested for me, for my clients, my entire life, I get predictions for what's going to happen for their future, just as a matter of course. That just happens in the course of the reading for me. Uh, the other predictions that have come in my life, especially the public predictions, uh, one string that I was 100% accurate for uh, all the way up through um, Obama and Bush uh, was that uh, I had a 100% accurate record of presidential predictions going back to Kennedy. And the way that started was just a fluke. I was, I think I was in the kitchen with my mother. I think she was cooking or something. And she just turned around and said, who's going to be our next president? And in a flash, I said, Kennedy. And I was correct. And so then it kind of became a family game to see if I could accurately predict the president each year. And I did. And as I continued that into adulthood, uh, I did that on radio. I did that in my interviews. That's a matter of record. I remember when uh, when Bush uh, won and, and all the big name psychics were predicting Gore, all the big name psychics. And so I was on this uh, radio show and it came down to the end of the show. And they said, well, let's hear your prediction. Who's going to be president? And I said, Bush, Bush is going to win. And the, the person was almost taken aback. They were like, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, they're all predicting Gore. And I said, well, they can predict Gore all they want to, but Bush is going to win. And she was real haughty and she said, well, we'll see, won't we? And I said, yeah, we will. And of course, Bush won. I predicted his re-election. I predicted Obama his re-election. Oh, no. And it's a matter of public record that I did those things. So those are things that just kind of fell into place over the years. And I never missed a, a president. I, I was totally accurate all the, all the way up through. And um, then I, I finally told the guys on the other side, I asked the guys on the other side, I said, you know, I said, no psychic on the planet is 100% accurate, but I said, I have this 100% accurate string. I know it's going to break at some point, but right now it's 100%. If I retire from making presidential uh, 
predictions. Can I keep that? Can I keep that intact? And the guys were like, yeah, okay, you can have that one, kids. <laughs> so I retired from doing presidential predictions and, and kept that, that string intact. So that's how that came about. And then uh, other things I, I predicted, uh, the first economic crash um, years in advance before that happened and uh, said when it was gonna happen and how, and that was a matter of record. I did that when I was on radio, I predicted that. So some of those things like that do come to me uh, in a timely manner to help people, but it's amazing you can tell people that and they won't take that advice. They'll still you know, uh, do things and, and lose money. Like I have a, a very wealthy client and I'll, I'll say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, do this instead. And he goes, John, you know, when I listen to you, I'm okay. And I'm, I'm all right with my money. And then when I get a wild hair and try and work off my intuition, I don't listen to you. I lose a lot of money. I'm like, okay, is there an object lesson there? <laughs> you know? So it's sometimes difficult to get that information out to people. People won't always necessarily, you know, take what's going on. And even when you've been accurate in the past and you're telling people, okay, it's going to happen again, because I predicted the second crash. I said, we're going to put band-aids on the hot air balloon, send it back up, and it's the same balloon, the same thing's going to happen, it's going to crash again, and uh, and it did, and it's, you know, it's difficult trying to get that across to people, so, uh, but as far as what's happening now, you know, the bank failures, everything we see, uh, you know, I've been telling people for a long time, stay away from the market, I told people a year or two before it happened, I said, start getting out of crypto, crypto's going to crash, and it did, and, um, you know, right now we've just got this huge economic instability and people need to be aware of that, be cautious about that, be careful with their money. I thought people, hey, it's safer under the mattress than, you know, take some out and stick it under the mattress and you've got some. I just read a news story the other day on Yahoo, I think it was yesterday, the day before, and some of the big banks, Synchrony, Chase, some of these other banks have all of a sudden shut people's accounts down for no reason. And like one guy was a, a sports writer in, in New York, I believe it was. And people like that, they, they go to pay for something with their bank issued credit card or a debit card and it doesn't work. And they call the bank and it's like, well, your account's been shut down due to suspicious financial activity. And they're like, well, what activity? Well, we can't tell you, we don't really know. So they can't access their credit cards. They can't use their ATM cards. They can't use their debit cards. They can't access the cash that's in their checking or savings, it's frozen. And so unless you've got some money stashed at home, you're out of luck. And so these people call me go, well, what, what flagged it as a suspicious thing? I've been banking with you for years and years and what all of a sudden set this off? Well, we don't know. And it could they take up to 60 days to find out. So people need to be aware that this stuff is going on and you know, always have a little fail safe for yourself. And in this article, they recommended, you know, hey, don't just have one bank, have two banks different banks and have maybe the mortgage money in another account so that if they freeze this one, you can still pay the mortgage. And I tell people, you know, hey, have some cash at home. And people are always, the, the big resistance I get when I tell people to stay out of the market, be careful with the market. They're like, yeah, but you know, if I invest and I, I get this huge return and if, if it's in the bank and the savings account, I may get a tenth of a percent, you know, whatever. And I said, hey, look, Here's the way you have to understand this and think about this. This is reality. If it's in the stock market and you just got a big dividend and made some money, and then the next month the market crashes and you lose half of what you had. But if you've got that same amount of money in the savings account 
and the market crashes, guess what? You've still got all of that money. You didn't lose any of it. And trying to get that across to people is like pulling hen's teeth. But right now, everybody needs to really, really be financially careful, financially aware. You know, don't think you're going to invest in the market and hit it big because more likely you'll lose most of it or all of it. And, you know, whatever's going on with the banks, the banks are failing. You know, the banks are shutting people's accounts down for no reason at all. All this kind of nonsense. Be aware of that. Have you some cash on hand so that if that happens and you're out, you've got plenty of cash at home. You've got maybe $500 on you in cash. And so you go to pay for a meal, your debit cards decline. You call the bank, the accounts are shut down. You got cash on you. You can still pay for the meal. You can do what you do. You, you know, handle things till the, till the things get settled down. So that's what everybody needs to be aware of now. Is there any big predictions um, worldwide that you would want to put out there on record that people can make note of? Yeah, there's there's not really too much that, that comes to me right now. I mean, basically everything we see uh, is, is happening and what's going to happen for a while and what we're having to contend with. Uh, um, the one thing that I do see that seems to continue to get worse until we get out the torches and the, the pitchforks is that, you know, America is sliding into this third world country. Uh, you go to the supermarket, you can't get meat. I mean, this is America. You go to the supermarket, you can't get meat. Uh, there's a meta medicine shortage, a drug shortage. Some of my prescription drugs that I have to have because I have a heart condition, all these other things, and I called the, the pharmacy to refill them. And they said, you may want to call your doctor and see if there's something else they can prescribe because we don't know if we can get this drug or not now. This is America. We got a drug shortage. We got a meat shortage. We got this shortage. We got that shortage. Here in Florida, where I live, in one of the counties here, and this made the national news, there was a person that died from a brain amoeba from getting water. Wait, wait, wait. Not, not lake water, not river water, tap water. Yeah. Tap water up their nose got a brain amoeba and died. And in this county here in Florida, they were saying, don't shower, don't wash your face, don't get water on you uh, unless you boil it until we give you the all clear. This is America. We got amoebas in the tap water. You, you can't wash your face. They said, literally, don't wash your face, don't take a shower, don't get water on your face or up your nose from the tap. We can't get meat in the grocery stores. We're having a shortage of medicine. All of these other things happening. It's just, it's insane. So our infrastructure continues to crumble. And I think that's something that we have to be aware of and it's going to continue to happen. And we're going to have to get out the, the pitchforks and the torches and get after these politicians. And what I try and tell people is like, you know, I've had party favorites over the years, but regardless of who's in party, whose who's party is in power, go to the grocery store and see what you pay. If the Republicans are in there, milk's three something a gallon or four something a gallon. If the Democrats are in there, milk's three something a gallon, four something a gallon. It's just it's just ridiculous. So we've got to get out of this party mindset. That's the big thing that I see. We have to get out of this pointing fingers at each other and the Democrats are demons and the Republicans are demons. We've got to get away from all of that. We've got to say, hey, we're all Americans. We've got to pull together and we've got to solve this thing and we've got to start holding our leaders accountable. Yeah. And I, I remember there was, and it's like with the UFO thing, we could talk about that for another hour, 
Uh, but I know we're running out of time and, and maybe we can hit that again down the road. But it's like with the UFO thing, the government's finally acknowledged they're real, they're here, they're physical objects, they're seen on all these multiple sensors, but they won't tell us what's going on. They have to know what's going on. Somebody in our leadership has to know whose they are, why they're here, what they're doing, what's going on. And we have to demand that. Uh, there was a, um, a congressman in Tennessee, uh, Tim Burchett. And one of the podcasts that, uh, that I was on, the people that did that did this podcast called The Big Phone Home after an homage of ET Phone Home. And they would get all the UFO experts from around the world on this podcast and it went on all day, sometimes for a couple of days. And Tim Burchett was on there. And he said uh, that there are things that people in Congress know about UFOs that if they were to just come out and publicly disclose that they would die by suicide by 12 bullets to the back of the head. Uh, so he's acknowledging that that's the reality of the danger to people that try and make these disclosures. And he went on at some length about that. And it was, it was really interesting and really revealing. But what he said was about the disclosure process was that the American people have to force the hand of the American leaders and we have to get them in a tight spot and demand that they disclose this information that they know and tell us what's going on and give us the real truth about this. And he said, if we don't do that soon, he said, they're going to close that door so tight that not even a, a Freedom of Information Act request. Well, he said, that's, that'll just be a thing of the past. He said, you won't get anything but just black pages, totally redacted pages from now on about anything. So that was his words. And his words, he said, we have to take names kick ass. He said, we've got to press our government for the truth on this. And we've got to do it now. If we don't, we're going to lose it. And I've heard other people say that as well. I think it was... Uh, it may have been Nick Pope, and, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was him that made a statement that he didn't see disclosure coming. He saw a tightening of information, if anything, happening, and that we were losing a grip on this. So, But that's all because we sit back and we take it, and if we stop taking it, it you know, our power is that if we'll mass together and demand that this happen and keep demanding that it happen, and like when I was on the, the sister interview to that show, uh, they asked me, they said, okay, what do we do? How do we uh, make this happen? And I said, write your congressman, the old fashioned way. And I said, if, you know, if 20,000 people write their congressman the first month, well, wow, yeah, 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 yeah. And then if the next month, 50,000 people have written in and the next month, 100,000 people are writing in and people keep writing and people keep writing and people keep demanding and it keeps growing. At some point they have to do something, they have to pay attention. And, and if we you know, put other uh, strictures in place to make it even more difficult for them, unless they start listening to us and doing something, yeah. you know, that's, that's the key to the whole thing. But we have to be willing to band together and do that. To do that, we gotta quit blaming the Democrats. We gotta quit blaming the Republicans. We got to get together as Americans. We got to say, hey, our infrastructure is crumbling. You can't get meat when you go to the grocery store. You can't get medicines you need. Your tap water is going to kill you. Uh, you know, all this, this is America for God's sakes. And it's yeah. like we're a third world country living with bread lines all of a sudden. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. So, you know, well, we, we, we've got to get after that. 
you're you're 100 correct we need to get after all that there's no doubt because i don't think most people are not real heavy red or they're not real heavy blue there are a lot of purple out there and yeah. uh, most yeah. people are centrists and if we address that that's going to be helping us along the way and there's no question exactly. about it, so exactly. um well do you want to do i mean i'm t- off the cuff here do you want to do a little demo of like your what you do with readings i mean t- tommy and our good training dummies um <laughs> if, <laughs> if you want i don't care what you want to do but um whatever strikes your fancy something that maybe maybe we need to know maybe the podcast needs to know or or um you know personally need to know so people can see what you do what a real psychic looks like and you know that kind of yeah. thing well basically uh let's start with you first terry uh with you uh, there's um there's no big thing fixing to take you out or put you down or anything like that life's normal lumps and bruises but with you you need to look after your health a little bit more and i mean that's good advice for all of us but for you in particular right now there's some things you can do um, specifically with your energy, not just your physical energy, but your mental and emotional energy to where you're not, uh, you're not jousting at windmills and you're not on too many wild goose chases and you don't have too many things at once on your plate. There needs to be a little bit of a, a scaling back in some sense of the word there on some things so that you're not overtaxed and then with your health, um, I mean, you, you look, you've, you've seen a lot, you've been through a lot, you, you know how the world is and all that. With all that, uh, you, you've got to make time for some humor. You've got to find time for something that makes you laugh and some silly distractions and some things that just take your mind off of all of this for a while so that you just forget it and you've got some levity and you've got some happiness and uh, a really good vacation wouldn't hurt where you're not thinking about anything not the podcast not the bills not this not that just just having a little bit of fun and i think that's the the main focus the main thing that i see for you right now does that ring true does that hit home for you well yeah we're gonna head out for a little vacation got back from a cruise and in the evening i always watch something that's a little brainless so that I could go to sleep with a little bit of humor involved. Yeah. And uh, so I've watched some older shows that are kind of funny back and so forth. But uh, yeah, scaling back, I mean, I am involved in many, many things. So I actually have that on my agenda to scale back this year, a couple of big items. And Good so, deal. yeah, I would agree. All right. All right. Good deal. Now let's see what we got for Tom. <laughs> um There's a project that you are either working on or need to work on. There's something you have in mind as far as something that you should write. There's some information that you have that you need to be disseminating, that you need to be getting out there. And I think that there there seems to be a divergent path with this. There seems to be, I don't know, it's almost like a, um, almost like an intelligence type of information. And I don't know how to describe it any better than that, but it's almost like uh, that's the, that's the way they give it to me. That's the best way to describe it where it's it's like a, um, let's put it under this umbrella where it could be something like information that, you know, 
related to some type of intelligence or something of that nature that you could put out there as a, a warning or descriptive something or almost like a, a true spy novel, that type of thing. And that's, that's the best way I can describe it. That's it's, but it definitely is intelligence, some type of intelligence thing. And it, it's something that you could put out there in a way that would somehow wake people up or guide people or whatever, some kind of knowledge you have that it may be a little dicey, but people need to know it. Does that make sense to you at all? Not quite sure what that would be, but I'll give that some thought. Okay, to do that, there's something there. It's something in your past history, your past knowledge that you've got. And it's something that's sensitive, but it's something that you can get out there in a way that I think would help people and kind of shake people up. And it's kind of like, you know, when people in politics, law enforcement, intelligence agencies or whatever, and they, they write nonfiction books, they write books about real experiences and they reveal certain things that enlighten people, make people aware of things. Like, you know, the biggest uh, gun runner in the, the world is the U.S. <laughs> All of those types of things that we find out. There's something there you've got that you need to bring out and, and let people know. Okay. okay. So study on that, work on that. And then the other thing is, I think there's some writing, some publication or something that you need to do in the realm of the paranormal. So that's something that I think you need to focus on and work on. Yeah, we've been planning on writing a book. We just haven't had the time to sit down and do it. So there you go. There you go. So get that done. But but think on this intelligence thing. Think of what that is. Connect with that. And it may be that I'm the harpoon's hitting bone and it's something that you don't want to acknowledge on the air or can't say or don't want to talk about, which is fine. But there's something there that you need to grab a hold of and, and do something with. Maybe a little controversial even, but it's something that needs to get out there. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, John. Well, hey, folks, um, we've been talking here with John Russell from the great state of Florida, formerly Texas. So uh, we, uh, man, I really appreciate you coming in. Is is there anything, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, tell us how the best way to do that is. Okay. And I do take new clients all the time. You can go to johnrussell.net, johnrussell.net, two S's, two L's and Russell. And uh, there, there's information of my client testimonials, my media testimonials, how to schedule a reading. Uh, you'll see my book covers there for my books on either side of my picture when the page loads. You can click on those, take you straight over to Amazon where you can buy those. So all the information you'll need about me is there. Fantastic. Tommy, you got any closing words? Yeah, John, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Um, I like your direct approach, and um, I think that's refreshing. We need Thank more of that out there for My sure. My pleasure. I enjoyed being here. Enjoyed meeting both of you. And hopefully we'll do it again down the road. Sounds Fantastic. like a plan. Well, John, from all of us here at the Metaphysical Mysteries, thanks so much for, you know, being here with us and educating people on so many different topics. And I know this could go on for hours. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's fascinating field. And it's all the things people always ask about when they're sitting at the bar or chit-chatting with their friends over something else and right. uh, you know we, we're fortunate all of us three of us here to get to do it in real life Absolutely. And, and have a sense of it so you really brought that home and I man I really appreciate that so 
for everybody else, hey, hang in there and we will be back with another episode just as soon as we can get it done. So from everybody here at the Metaphysical Mysteries, have a great day. See you later.